And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. On this episode, we are talking prejudice, equity, justice in Star Trek. We're talking about stereotypes. We're talking about prejudice. We're talking about um, everything, um, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That, this is great, uh, Ali, but uh, some week I really want to try to find something that's topical. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? When we... Gosh. The last few weeks, Larry, it's been some. Uh, we've we've tackled some some pretty big, um, pretty big topics here. So um, we're going to get the conversation started. We want to know what is your favorite Star Trek story about prejudice, equity, and why? There's so many, so many to choose from. Um, you can pick one from any franchise you could pick one about xenophobia you can pick one about uh stuff going on on earth there's there's so much to pick from there's so, allegory mm-hmm. and there's on the nose versus i mean literally you know on the nose <laughs> yeah yeah oh, let yeah. that be be your last battlefield might be one of them um so let us know in the comments what's what's your favorite one um if this is your first time on life support well this is the first time at our new time so thank you for joining us we're, yes. we moved the show a little bit earlier we've been having a lot of fun with the show we want to make it more sustainable for the long term and the easiest way for us to do that was to move the show a little bit earlier so sorry west coasters if you had to get up a little bit earlier um i recommend uh, uh i was good as i was good i was debating should i go tea or gray hot or should i do coffee black um i went with the janeway pick this morning so um oh yeah 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 please please uh get your beverages join us if you're on the uh west coast in the morning hours but around the, uh, around the world i think uh this might I'm, be a better time for i'm gonna for- say this is trip tucker diet dr pepper because ah. I know McCoy wouldn't have messed with it, and the only other Southerner I can think of is uh, Tripp's. <laughs> Tripp would totally be a Dr. Pepper guy, 100%. Dr. Pepper would even still be in business, yeah, you know, probably in the 2150s. So. <laughs> maybe. Maybe they have some kind of government subsidies uh, keeping them going <laughs> in, in some kind of weird way. Uh, making the coffee now, says Scott, and RGTD says, Rack, did you know I would love a Ractagino. Uh, I've always wanted to try that. Um, did they have Ractaginos at um, the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas, Larry? They, of course they did. They Past tense. Ooh, past tense. See what I did there? Hey, I see what yeah. you did there. Yeah. <laughs> of course they had Ractagino. Which, Ractagino is just Klingon iced coffee, which was supposed to be a joke. Is you it know? always iced? Can you get a Ractagino hot? Well, I, you probably could by the time yeah. you finagled it. But the well, idea no was did. when... Coffee and Starbucks and iced coffee became a thing in the 90s. They went, oh, let's have a Klingon Starbucks. And, it, you know, that was the joke. 
which totally got lost because people just love saying Ractagino. Oh, it sounds so good. Um, Tim Hans is uh, is going for the Romulan ale. Uh, hey, <laughs> might be uh, <laughs> might be type for that wherever you might be. Um, Zahir saying I'm a traditional coffee man. Double strong, double sweet. I like that. Um, and uh, Tiger Tracker says, I make Ractaginos regularly, hot or cold, depending on the day. We, I mean, let's just talk about caffeine in the final Let's do that. Let's, at 10 a.m. on a Saturday, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, 10 a.m. Pacific, you know. But seriously, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for finding us two hours earlier. Thanks for coming in on this uh, topic today. Yeah. Seems rather uh, apropos. Uh, and thanks, wherever you're coming from, just a quick reminder, we are, we are multi-channel here today, yeah. as always. We're on... Actually, we're on two different YouTube platforms and two different Facebooks and our Twitch. So we love the chat. We're going to be dipping in and out of it. And at the end, we will have a hailing frequencies, open time, open channel time. So especially if you're on Twitch, just know that all three platforms, you can only see the chat from your platform. Yeah. We're looking at a master feed. So I don't want anybody to think that we're ignoring you <laughs> or we're looking past you or who, who's he talking to about that? We're looking at a master a master feed, just so you know. Especially you guys on Twitch, and I'll try to try to remember that. But no, awesome and chat. We put up the comments on screen yes. as we're as we're talking about a lot of them. We do in. right, yeah, yeah. And you can see where they're coming from. But some of you, that's the only clue you have that it's 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 beyond your little circle. This thing is bigger than any of us. <laughs> so um, aside from the fact, some of our diagnoses we talk about, and some of our conditions, and some of our yeah, comments sadly are bigger than all of us, and prejudice seems to be one. Well, with that, let's let's go into the briefing yeah. room. Um, let's jump into this briefing room segment where we're um, getting into this topic and and exploring it. And so um, through that, Larry, Larry, there's there's so much to talk about here. I mean, this is a this is the past few weeks in America. We've seen um, we've seen very blatant. Uh, representations of racism, how it's still alive in America. George Floyd was killed at the hands of police custody um, in a video that's now been seen around the world. And um, it's also brought to light more examples of of racism, of police brutality, of prejudice, of and also with people to come coming together, standing for equity and standing for justice. Now, this is something that has been at the core of Star Trek for a very long time, has been explored in a wide variety of episodes. So I, I kind of want to talk in the beginning here about how we get to that future we see in the original series, how we in canon, like, how did we get from here and... Also, what fictionally happens here, we have this eugenics war and the rise of Khan and Khan and all this stuff happens. That's impression number one of the day. Uh, my jaw wasn't quite in it. I need, I need no, a lot yeah. more Shatner. Ugh, I can't. I, it's all in the jaw, that scene. You didn't go full Genesis on it. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about how how we get to that utopian future in Star Trek. How, how does Star Trek lay, lay the groundwork for this future that is very different than the, than the present we are in right now? Well, I'm glad you went to the canon side of that because as a real-life concept, I'm still working on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We all are. Yeah. No, I just, I just want to say that, uh, yes, this week, George Floyd in Minnesota, it's, it's, that has ripped off a Band-Aid that I think has caught even people. <laughs> we, the the original the the uh, 
Sondra Mashak and, and Sondra Marshak and Jack, Jacqueline Lichtenberg wrote, wrote one of the first books about Star Trek analyzing it, and they called all the different effects why it has such a big audience and was so powerful because it reached out to all these pools of audience, this Venn diagram of people. And one of them was they called simply the discovery effect. And I almost feel, which in, in this, in this um, you know, going viral, we all are online era, the discovery effect was just the fact that you watched Star Trek in your own little town, in your own living room, and had no idea. You thought you were goofy. You had no idea there were tens and hundreds and thousands and millions of other people that felt the same way. And once you've discovered that there were others just like you, you were like, oh, my God. And that made it stronger. And I think we've been in our own version of a discovery effect this week. Not so much that we didn't know, you know prejudice and racism existed, but that. The more people saw people incensed by that video, you know, uh, we we talk about this in a minute. But the the more people saw a discovery effect by the second or third, by well, very early on, this was not a black thing again, a black thing with a few white faces sprinkled. And it was amazing to me how there were like these small all white towns in Alabama that had people out, even those numbers. And what seems to be striking about this moment is why is this different than other times? And it's given some people hope, and 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 we we'll get into that. But it also has ripped off a band-aid that seems like it's allowed us to go deeper into what some people are finally finally becoming aware of as systemic racism, and being able to see it with clear eyes. There are more people in the pool, and we're all seeing more with clear eyes. And that's a mystery that has been, how do we get to Star Trek's time? Yeah. Because it was great to start a show, to start a series on Star Trek where that was just in the subtext. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Before we get into that, I just want to mention Tim uh, Tim's comment here, the benefit of phone cameras today. You can film anything I, and use it as evidence. And what I think what's happened with... With George Floyd's video, not only is it coming on the heels of many more examples of that, of black men and women who have been killed needlessly, um, but it's also because of the technology, this moment was captured and, and readily shared around the world without any traditional media. It was all uh, new media and social media that allowed that. And you see in this video that there is absolutely no excuse for what happened, for why he was killed. And um, it is opening up. Either. Right, right. There's just a whole movie that's sad. It's led us to have um, a deeper discussion that I think a lot of of people in the black community in the United States, but also in in communities of color, have talked about often. And now we're, now a lot of white Americans are are beginning to understand um, what this experience has been like. You know, I, um, it's, uh, one of, we'll get back to Star Trek in a moment, but um, one of go, the things that um, that I have really um, had to uh, look at myself is how um, how non diverse my social media following has been. Like the people I follow, um, I follow a lot of journalists. I follow a lot of Star Trek people. I follow a lot of people in psychology and mental health. And this week, I've really realized how I haven't been following a lot of people of color, but also um, black voices in all of these communities. Um, 
because these voices that have always been there that have been speaking up have really been elevated this week and mm-hmm. i've i've discovered so many blind spots and in do- doing so i have discovered so many uh, more voices and perspectives than i had been exposed to before and um one of the things that I discovered was a YouTuber. Let me see. I, I wrote his name down in my in my show notes here. Um, gosh, where is he? Ah, yeah. Belief in Fatherhood. Uh, and he filmed a video. He, he's a family vlogger. So he films videos about um, raising his children. I think he has two boys and, and one girl. And um, usually I don't watch family vlog YouTube series because I'm not that interested in it because it's usually just families going about the about their day but this is different because he he also speaks to what it's like to be a black family in america and he filmed a video called we had the talk with our sons about being black in america and it's a video where he takes i believe it's a seven and nine year old or five and seven year old i can't remember but he sits them down with his wife and talks to them about um how some people might judge them based on the color of their skin and some people might see them as a danger as a result of this and what to do. And you see the innocence leave their face right. as they begin to understand this. And so um, I never, never had to think about that. I've never, I, I've never thought about that with my own daughter. And so this week has brought to life for me what it must feel like for, uh, to now I'm not black. I've, I've never experienced this myself. Um, but the, the fear that other people must have on a daily basis of you because of your skin color and how you must act differently because of that. That's what I've really begun to realize this week. And, um, I think it's just, um, we're, we're having a deeper conversation that I've never seen at the scale before in this collaborative a way before. Some people are talking about how this does harken back to the 60s, and I think there's some parallels there. At the same time, it's, I think yes. that the collaboration here is a little bit different. I think I tweeted this week that it don't, I've had this thought a few times before, but in, in 20, 50 years, we may look back at the invention of the iPhone, of all things, uh, you know, smartphones, cam phones, but the iPhone definitely was the revolution point as being a revolution in social justice because you could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and some people are racist. I And I still want to believe there's just a great unwashed pool of good feeling people who just really have a hard time thinking just the way, I don't know, the way certain elections have gone in recent years. People were just kind of like never would have considered that that certain outcomes would happen. And, you know, pictures are worth a thousand words, so I guess videos are worth a million. Mm-hmm. And you cannot argue with visuals. You cannot argue with, you know, a 30-second clip, a 60-second clip. An eight-minute and 46-second clip, it, it, you don't worry about context. It's there. And I think that's what's finally... You hate to say that. You had to say, well, I had to show you a picture to get you to understand but yes, sometimes that's exactly what, especially when you're talking about a monumental shift. And again, I think there are a lot of people of good, of good faith, good intention, who just could not believe the problem was that wrong. And now what's happening beyond George Floyd, and I guess they were there all along, but we've had the flood. Uh, uh, Ahmaud, was it Ahmaud Aubrey, the, the jogger, 
who was jogging. We don't have video of Brianna in, in who was EMT worker who was shot in her apartment. But they're just in the police. And this is a whole separate thing where we can talk about the militarization, the post Iraq war militarization of police. Hey, we've got some army surplus tanks. You guys want them? And that whole mindset that's changed. We don't have policemen anymore. We have war fighters on the street. But these little snippets of video with white people, with people of all, oh, the seventy-five-year-old man in in Portland, I believe, and and no qualm about. We've totally gotten away from Sheriff Andy Taylor. You know, it's all soft-edged and it's hard-edged when it needs to be. But the needs to be is one in a million occasions, not not 999,000 occasions out of a million. Yeah. It's not it's not the standard operating procedure to be in, you know, uh you know, mob mode, riot gear mode. And that's what's happened. Yes, iPhones have been a revolution and not just for exposing these moments when they happen, but like all of them right. everywhere and even right. beyond. we need to focus black lives matter here. Yeah. Because that's what's been the fuse. But these videos are coming where it doesn't matter who you are, you know, young kids, uh, they, the cops tipping off uh, some boogaloo boys that they're about to go after the protesters and you guys better clear out. That was a shocking one from um, I forget where. Anyway, anyway, I know we're going far afield here from Star Trek, but uh, yeah, well, um, you know, our comment section is also sharing their experience. Uh, Jared said my ex was black during the time we were dating. He was pulled over eight times on the same stretch of road while we were on our way to dinner. I was driving. I was never pulled over once. And um, similarly, Scott says uh, my husband is half Persian before we were married uh, and he had changed his name. We were singled out for screening at airports all the time since he's changed his name to mine. It hasn't happened once in six years. So there's um, a lot of people are sharing their experiences and how um, how similar they uh, how we many of us have experienced to some degree some of these things. So um, getting yeah. back to Star Trek. I was going to uh, say, is our- uh, Heidi in Europe is saying, uh, agree on all this. And in Europe, it's all, it's increasing. And also against like Muslims. Yeah. Yeah. Who it's, it's so convenient that they can be darker skinned too. I mean, you know, and have an ethnic look. I mean, yes. So one of the things that this is our present, obviously, um, I want to talk about how we got from this present to the Star Trek future in Star Trek. So, um, Something, Larry, I think that often gets uh, left out in this discussion about Star Trek's utopian future and how Star Trek has, um, Earth in Star Trek has um, eradicated disease and poverty and united together in the peaceful, peaceful exploration of space. Those are the mm. three things that I think make up the Star Trek's utopian future. What I think often gets left out in that is World War Three, is... That utopian future was really built out of this decay and destruction that Earth experienced, where most governments were in shambles. We see some of this in Star Trek First Contact, the film. Um, is it, I think, is it mentioned? That's mainly it. Well, just to jump on here. Yeah. In the 60s, we did a Trek Files recently, my podcast at Roddenberry, where we got it back. We went to Route One, which was Gene's pitch document. And I had Rod Roddenberry on because I wanted to get back at this with everything going on. We all we say, oh, Star Trek, the show that was so aspirational, uh, equality, you know, uh, racial justice, 
economic justice and disease and poverty. We, we didn't destroy the earth. We didn't kill each other. We didn't nuke ourselves. But you go back and read his pitch piece, Gene Roddenberry's document, Star Trek is, and it's all about the format. It's about the captain and the crew, and we're a few, we're centuries in the future, and here's the kind of adventures we can get into. Nowhere in the actual pitch document that he sold the show with does it say, and Star Trek will be aspirational, and it will all be all about diversity and equality. I mean, I think people... May it may not have been front and center minded. Anybody who stopped to reflect on it might have realized that was all between the lines. But it was interesting how he didn't he didn't come in and pound it and pound it that this was going to be a show you know this way. Now the minute you get to the, we're up and running, he's got a contract and he's hiring writers, and you have the writers' guides out for the writers. You see more of that attitude permeating. But it was just it struck me how uh, how. Uh, not only do we get it today, and that's the way Star Trek has evolved. The original audience in the '60s—that was that was the you know that was the flashpoint of attraction. Was oh my God, look at this more perfect future. Yeah, where these yeah. issues don't exist, but it wasn't sold that way. It was all in the subtext. And then so, but there were these '60s strictures. You know, budget we talk about, and one of the things that is in the writer's guide is he says, we do not go back to Earth. We don't talk about which economic system mm. won, won. We don't talk about anything from Earth. And a lot of that was about budget. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that still in the 60s was, let's not get into a comp- – let's just show these guys being great guys and gals. <laughs> and it's – you know, it's the whole thing is they didn't destroy themselves. They didn't nuke themselves. And they didn't poison the planet. So obviously something has happened – where everybody learned to get along, and it was always just subtext, and it was always intriguing to the first wave or two of fandom, and occasionally you'd see fan fiction. It wasn't really until next some of the movies developed this. We finally went to Earth in the motion picture. We saw gleaming San Francisco. You know, we we saw Paris as the as the president's office in Star Trek Six. So, right. you know, we start, and then in Next Generation is where it really hit. Star Trek Four was the first time we talked about no money so we were post-scarcity well if you have replicators that can make gold as easily as lead okay there you go yeah just don't think about the economics too much yeah 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 (laughs) well people people have been dwelling on the economics too but that's another that's another show but it really wasn't until next generation that we really having having great picard speeches where you know we worked as we say in our tags we work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity we don't worry about material gain um, and he's talking to Lily Sloan, a fearful black woman who has just survived World War III in First Contact. Yeah. First Contact really being the first time, aside from mentioning that a World War III happened and so many died, and people wondering if World War III was the eugenics wars and then come to find out, no, there was the eugenics wars, which was, as we've kind of retconned it more underground. Um, but World War III was a thing that's coming up in our future in about 30 years. And that's the, that's the shambles, the wreckage that Cromwell, that, uh, that Zephyrin Cochran, <laughs> Zephyrin Cochran and Lily Sloan at his side, um, were able to scrounge and scavenge and find some intact nuclear missiles that hadn't fired and put together the Phoenix and discover warp drive and bang, we're off and running. So, but uh, yes, from uh, that wreckage, 
And your idea about it being a cleansing. Dan, uh, 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 before we get get to that, yeah. Dan says, wasn't Rod Mary aiming to portray social justice even in the lieutenant? Stay tuned, Dan. We're going to talk about that. And Dan, Scott, just we're slow gonna, down. Yeah, we're going to talk about that pitch, too. Um, so we're, we're definitely going to get... Don't telegraph it. Okay. We're going <laughs> to get to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I saw What my point image. is, Ali, what my yeah. point is here is, the the idea about reg, uh, uh, prejudice and racism and the mo- their take on it and where they live in their time the 23rd yeah. 24th centuries it was not a straight through development for star trek right. they they hopscotched right. to the future and then as the media as the media matured as the audience matured they they started backfilling that. And, and it really didn't come along until the 80s movies and then next generation ferociously and then really nitty nitty gritty gritty with the S9? Yeah. 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 And uh, I think that's an important thing to note, that it was actually in the show's guiding instructions that they weren't going to go back to Earth. And a lot of the philosophy of Star Trek got filled in over the course right. of time. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about is, with the original series, what is so progressive about it is seeing um, representation of the entire world. I, th- I think Gene Roddenberry wanted one cast member representing each continent of of the united uh, of each continent of the united states there's my bias um each continent of the earth was going to be represented i guess minus antarctica so uhura was representing africa and you had sulu representing asia you also had uh chekhov what was so progressive about chekhov is in the cold war you had a russian serving on the bridge of the enterprise of the uss enterprise that's a pretty big deal so uh as radical as war serving on the bridge yeah 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 and and this was this was what was so progressive about the show um i I think michelle nichols has famously shared the story that she was going to quit the show um and then was approached by martin luther king who said you cannot do this this is the only show i'd let my kids watch so and then the effect that that had on Whoopi goldberg there's there's a lot of stories that have been shared there but one of the things that i've been thinking about is um how did we get to that future where they don't really even talk about race because it doesn't really seem to matter on earth um we talk about xenophobia and bias as it relates to aliens and then we're going to get to ds9 we see some really um uh, amazing episodes of star trek deep space nine well let me get back to the xenophobia so we have of course let that be your last battlefield where it's Which for years has been everybody's go-to all the early years of Star Trek, that was the go-to episode on racism, on-the-nose on racism. Yeah, and I think on-the-nose is good because it's Kirk saying, this is stupid. What you are doing, <laughs> fighting simply based upon this, is stupid. I think we need that. We need the on-the-nose episodes because, again, remember the time. This was the 1960s. Right. and well, This was, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say it's a big, a big deal uh, that that was going on. But I also want to outline um, some other things here. We we see episodes like Measure of a Man, um, and the very uh, really um, amazing moment of that episode where Guinan is talking to Picard. And she says, wow, a race of disposable beings and evokes slavery. And you see 
Picard's face completely change because he's being snapped back from the 24th century to the history of slavery on Earth. So they know they know about this history and and we see this also in um in the wonderful series i think um it's been mentioned in our comments um in many previous episodes past tense from deep space 9 where we see one class of uh, very wealthy people and at the same time san francisco you know, this could be an image of San Francisco right now, where the homelessness and the plight of um, of uh, people who have less is really completely ignored. The mentally ill and the jobless as well as yeah, the 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 ideal here and and the militarization and the, and the militarization of the, the clueless as well. The clueless, yeah. you know, it's brute, brute force. Before they always they almost kill off the character of Vin there. That's become the thing that everybody we haven't even talked about far beyond the stars yet, which is like a yeah. historical snapshot time tra- it's a mind time travel back to the fifties. There you yeah. go, Benny Russell. I mean, and we also see police the brutality the there. Episode and the casting and having Wei Yun and. and um, and Ducat be the two corrupt cops. And having all of his well-meaning, well-intentioned, far-sighted science fiction writing white friends all, in the end, just be standing by and yeah. you know feeling helpless or not knowing what to do and not really getting his... I mean, far beyond the stars, yes, people think of, but that part of it and the part of, of past tense about the people who knew these were issues and problems and we thought we'd take we had these districts it wasn't widespread it was the worse it was like the district yeah it was like a prison for people with less than that were originally set up to be beneficial but they became convenient you know out of sight out of mind excuses where it wasn't just about race there's there's all races are in there but the point was they were put aside forgotten and the comfortable class a lot of them very conveniently thought you know, or, or e- easily conscienced thought that the problem's been dealt with. And they were totally clueless and cut off. And it took, I wish I'd found got this slide, it took getting them on the internet at the end, or whatever they called it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <and> having, yeah. <laughs> having everyone tell their story to break through that wall, yeah. not even so much about racism, but just being cut off. And that's what, that's what's wrong. We've come at the iPhones. It's like the iPhone... And everybody's personal ability to document is the same as those that everyone locked inside the sanctuary district having access to tell their story one after the other, one after the other thousands of times. Yeah. And yeah. and having it having that penetrate the greater majority. Well, it, uh, that's it takes probably something to the knock episode. through that wall, you know, even of well-intentioned people to knock through that wall and make an impression that, oh, my God, it, this is happening. That's probably one of the only episodes of Star Trek that best ties into what what we're going through right now and the ending of that episode with with people telling their own story and cutting through directly the empathy there that comes through storytelling uh, which we are seeing here this week like I, I was describing that youtuber um who talked to his children about the reality of being black i, I had a very similar moment there where um it was very hard for me to watch because I was imagining what would I do in that same situation. Um, th- so there's so many parallels there. And then we also 
have uh, stories like um, Star Trek does this very well with um, discrimination between groups of people who are not human. We see this in Star Trek um, Six: The Undiscovered Country with guess who's coming to dinner. That's impression number two, folks. Um, th- you see the discrimination with Klingons and the bias between those two groups of people and the badmiralty, as Dr. Trek likes to say, one of my favorite terms from uh, Trekland. So we see a lot of these stories, but besides Deep Space Nine, I would argue, and maybe the original series with City on the Edge of Forever, um, we don't get as much discussion of racism or discrimination on Earth. And so here's one thing that I, I think must have happened. Um, I saw this image on Twitter and I thought it was very relevant for us. Let me see if I can make it bigger. Is uh, This is a bit of a crash course in, in some of these topics here. Um, inequity really being that... Um, groups of people are treated differently. Um, equity, we, we treat them all the same, but there might be a history that has, uh, or certain uh, circumstances that keep everyone from accessing those those uh, resources uh, the same. Equity is uh, keeping those inequities in mind and um, uh, addressing those so that everyone gets equal access to, to those resources. And then justice being um, changing the system. And we see the tree is been straightened out there. So something must have happened between World War III and um, and Star Trek Enterprise. Um, something must have happened where humanity got together and as they started rebuilding their governments, rebuilding the, their cultural structures, their institutions, they moved to some type of justice model that was um, taking care of all the people who whose lives were completely destroyed by World War III. And the new systems that they created were not built on these differences, um, these perceived differences, these racial differences. That's the quote-unquote original sin of the United States is we were built on slavery. And um, as slavery ended, um, that transitioned to other forms of discrimination. Um, if you haven't seen Ava DuVernay's documentary, The 13th, I, th- I think it's actually just called 13th. It chronicles this, and it, it was only on Netflix, but now Netflix released it for free on YouTube. So you can go watch it right now for free, um, 13th on, on, on YouTube. So something happened where those structures were rebuilt. And that hasn't been chronicled, has it, Larry? No, not really. I mean, there may be some you know fan fiction out there. But basically, what, you know, if it's a case of it's, it's probably a, a lot akin to what happened in Europe. After World yeah. War II, I'm going to say, because Europe was so devastated, the 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 aggressors and the innocents, it's like everybody was bombed and re- most everyone was bombed and raised with a Z down to almost nothing. Everything had to be built again from scratch. And all the history, the years of somebody was number one and somebody was number 47 or, you know, on a global scale, it was like, who were the colonial empires and who were their colonies that were less developed or they didn't have modern technology and so they became they became colonies they became in like africa much of asia a lot of south america um australia even which you know starts off as the prison (laughs) the prison colony so a lot of places that were the less than places it took a it took it took world war ii in europe 
to you know to start over from scratch to ground ze- literally ground zero square zero and build again and in that case everybody had it we're all e- we are now all even in the pile of rubble we're standing in and there you know and yeah. that must have been on a global scale what happened after world war 3 yeah uh just want to mention we've we're getting some comments about lots the, of comments in the, the chat lots yeah. of comments um one that's sticking out is um the, the sexism in the original series and um dan was mentioning that um obviously the original series is arguably rife with sexism and linda says i don't think sexism was really eradicated in deep space nine until, or in star trek until deep space nine there is a lot of that and maybe that's something we'll explore in the future um there's a lot of sexism and that was a big blind spot in star trek uh, uh, a lot of that in the original series and a lot of that in the next generation um maybe we'll talk about that as well um at some point um but yeah larry that's that's something i i wish um i could see in other star trek stories is how how they created that i think one of the uh, closest we get is terra prime um yes. this yeah. is actually i think one of the best moments of Star Trek Enterprise. Um, not only because we have Robocop in it, who also then appears in Star Trek Into Darkness. He loves to play Star Trek villains. It's in versions of Star Trek that are less than beloved. <laughs> um, but he, uh, that, that's this storyline of massive xenophobia being snapshot back in in this moment of moving forward um we're seeing a uh, big rise in that xenophobia and um one scholar who i've really discovered this week um is ibram kendi and he wrote um how to be an anti-racist and um um I think his first book is called mark from the beginning i believe but his first book is all about how as we've made progress, pro- progress, uh, progress in, um, in equity, in moving society forward, racism and discrimination has also made progress in subverting that and developing even more sophisticated rationales for racism. And that's what I think Terra Prime really is about. It's about this evolution of humanity's mm-hmm. xenophobia look look we mentioned star trek 6 and the klingon guess who's coming to the klingon dinner yeah and the original draft of the dinner scene they were trying to make a point and nick meyer wrote wrote that script with with others but they were trying to make a point by having it very on the nose typical racist oh could you sm- oh did you smell them oh did you yeah. see the way they yeah. ate no i mean and it was so on the nose that Michelle and George, some of the actors were like, guys, I think this is a little. Now, you know, they were trying to make a point, And sometimes making a point goes right past people to the point of you think it's, you know, in this case, racist and your your level of subtly. So they, they dialed it back even for what you see. What you see on the screen is even less than what it originally being on the nose was about. But it still makes the point. But the thing is, it's interesting how Star Trek and the Federation, how Earth and the Federation, let's say, um, we see these successive waves. Even if, say, a united Earth does away with prejudice and everyone is equal, blacks, whites, Asians, everybody, all the races of Earth are the same. Now here's Earth. Let's just up the plateau, right? Right. Right. Now we're all together. <laughs> now the xenophobia is just 
prejudice against others, whether you want to keep it on a global level of Earth and say xenophobia is fear of the other, right. and the other happens to be someone of another skin color, someone of another religion, someone just from another place yeah. that talks differently than you do, even if you're in the same language. Yeah. But now let's take it on a global level. Now we're you saw xenophobia with well, Vulcans a little bit, but they gave some pushback. But yes, Terra Prime's era is Earth grappling with its prejudice, not among other humans, but now the first wave that you meet. Yeah. Uh, Vulcans, the Nobulans. I mean, T'Pol and there's the scene where T'Pol and Phlox are bonding because for the first time they feel not welcome on Earth, you know, after yeah. you've had this spurt. And it's like, it's very, it's a great pendulum swing study in human nature. You've had yeah. the pen, you know, you've had this burst of outward activity, alien contact for nearly a hundred years, and now here's a big pushback by Paxton and his gang about the Terra Prime people. Oh no, get rid of all alien influence. Okay, fine. We survive that. We go on. Hundred years later, here's Kirk and his crew battling with the next wave out. Klingons are enemies, they're, but there are probably other. We've seen other, you know, um, what. <laughs> It's, it's Star Trek and it's sci-fi and it can be allegory. Let's not forget that if you're talking about communication with a new species leads to understanding and before that you might have prejudice. You might have you might have outright fear or terror and um, loathing and longing to the point where you're attacking, right? That was the other, you know, communication brings understanding. You could go back and make a case for the devil in the dark yeah. and the Horda. Being yeah, a case of prejudice absolutely. through a misunderstanding, yeah, right. And then when then when you have the communication, given it's sci-fi, given it's an allegory, given that you've got to find how to communicate even if you wanted to, but given that uh, the the Tamarians, the children of Tamar in Darmok, or no, they were those ships oh, were about absolutely. to shoot at each other until yeah. unless Picard and Dathan could find a way to you know communicate. So uh, communication, we're we're lucky here that it, the only thing we have to worry about is just doing the talking. When you elevate the misunderstanding, miscommunication to a level where you have to figure out how to communicate first if you don't blow yourselves apart. Yeah. You know, so so yes, uh, going just going back to Mother and then once you make that bridge, oh my God, she's doing our tunneling for us. We understand. We've got little, you know, little horde kids running around. I mean Dr. Trek, make that bridge. Is that another little subtle uh yeah, I thought so. Well yeah, I I this talk um that Trekkies both love and hate. Um, uh, probably about seven years ago at this point. It's on YouTube. It's about um, how to build a Star Trek utopian future. And one of the things that I um, I make a point there, and I'll talk about this when we get to the counselor log, is um, basically the way we're wired, there's a high probability that if we ever meet aliens and we survive that encounter, we won't have any empathy for them because they, they are probably look incredibly different than us. Um, and we might not be able to communicate with them. So that communication piece is, is so important. And another, another thread, uh, both, uh, Night Angel in on, um, so on Twitch as well as Cairo are talking about, um, the economic inequalities and mm -hmm. how that, leads to prejudice and health disparities, health disparities meaning um, different access to health care, um, illnesses affecting different populations differently because of how those populations are treated. And this really speaks to honoring our history. And there's a wonderful episode of Star Trek Voyager. This is the one that I keep pointing out when people are talking about the, the more obvious 
Yeah. Can you can you walk us through this episode a little bit? Because I had I had completely forgotten this episode. So this so this is an episode of Voyager. <laughs> Lest we leave out Voyager, that I just think is so insidiously, uh, subversively, you know, powerful. Because they come to a planet that's a peaceful planet, and they're all making you know Voyager looking for friends. Every new planet it finds. Uh, and they do, and they're all just getting along hunky-dory, and oh, look at our culture, and oh, we're just wonderful, and we share all these values. And through a weird, you know, alien sci-fi mental trick, Balana meets an older woman, an elderly woman, who shares a memory of just maybe two generations ago in, this, in the Inaran culture. They basically had a Nazi Holocaust situation going. They had a minority who rejected technology to the point where um, they were called regressives and they were made to make be their other and they were systematically hunted and executed yeah. at the same yeah, time as they side. told their population that they were just rejecting technology and they were just dying off. Yeah. And as, and apparently they'd all pretty much been wiped out to the point where generations later, they don't ignore them in their history, but they're teaching their little kids. Each succeeding generation is taught that, they didn't embrace technology and modernism, so they just eventually died out. You know, they totally sanitize and, and totally cover up the guilt in this in this ethnic cleansing. All of our modern buzz, our language of our time, this this basically holocausted their own minority. It's only this elderly woman's memory trick transfer sci-fi thing with Bolana, where Bolana is living her memories as a young woman with her lover boyfriend, who she eventually turns in it's like it's like the sound of music subplot again the, the boyfriend <laughs> girlfriend one of them turns the other one in or tries to and then deals with the guilt of watching her lover be executed right. and feeling that but she survives to get along but her get back her karma point is passing the memory along so it doesn't die so it's not stamped out and then balana first has to figure out what the hell's going on with herself but when they figure out that it's this memory trap, she tells Janeway, Janeway confronts the planetary culture, yeah. and they still don't accept it. And they say, yeah. well, we, I guess we can't be friends then. Yeah. And yeah. Bellana is just totally ripped up. But she makes a point to go find a young Inaran girl and do the memory thing back with her because human-Klingon hybrids <laughs> are great alien conduits for everybody, I guess. But uh, she makes sure and passes that along so the story is not lost within their culture. And, and to me, that was such a great allegory about even people who have reformed or, or to some point reformed that try to paper over the past. If you don't embrace it, say the way the Germans have yeah. the Nazi history, if you don't embrace it and put it out there, your ugly laundry, warts and all for everybody to see, you, have, you run the risk of, and, and, of and, that pendulum swinging back. Embracing it meaning not running away from it, right, right, teaching right. the next generation, building it into your culture so that um, you don't make those mistakes again. Lessons and, learned. And you also, um, you change those structures to make it less likely that it's going to happen again. And that's what that's what anti-racism is. Um, it's not not being racist. Um, 
it's taking actions that promote um, equity, that promote justice so that people are treated the fair. You can't get to that last point. You can't get to that justice point where we're where we're correcting the problems in our in our worlds without really honoring the history. And I think that's what's so what's so powerful about that episode. And that's also I was having this discussion with another friend of mine. Um, I did a live stream on on the Psych Show yesterday about how media can help us develop empathy. And one of the things he brought up about Star Trek is uh, a criticism that um, Star Trek can often be seen, especially to many people of color, that it is, quote unquote, colorblind. And one of the things we know is there's a danger to not recognizing differences in people because it, it can make you more vulnerable to racism or it can make it really easy for you to d- deny differences in how people are treated um, because of racism, but also because of economics and maybe because of uh, of religion or, or a wide variety of variables that we, we actually need to recognize the differences and how they impact people differently. Um I see one moment in Star Trek. It's a little Trek. bit like it's a little bit like Edith Keeler being a pacifist, mm. but she was a pacifist at the wrong time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, no. yeah. Passivism, uh, being passive, um, ignoring. I, I said pacifist, but you're talking about yes. Yeah, 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 and um, uh, being passive. That's that's. Um, it's what's the quote from uh, Abraham Kendi? I think it's um, uh, being passive is the lifeblood of racism. I'm, I'm um, not doing the quote justice, not doing the quotation justice, but um, doing nothing is what keeps this whole system going. And Star Trek can often be seen as like it's not recognizing the differences in humanity. Um, and maybe their future is different. But I have hope in uh, one of the episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine where everyone is going to Vix. And um, uh, Benjamin Sisko does not want to go. And when he's confronted about it, um, mm-hmm. he says, our people were not welcome there in Las Vegas in the 50s. We would have never been allowed in. And there's actually a conversation about that, which I think is a conversation that uh, resonates with this world of the Broadway show Hamilton, where um, this entire um, white characters have been cast with uh, with people of color. And we can have that whole discussion. You know, so uh, I get hope there that, the humanity of the future understands this dark past that we've been in. Um, but that is a criticism that Star Trek can often be seen as this colorblind well, whole, institution. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a conundrum that the whole point of Star Trek is to be a show set in the future, which from day one has been, uh, you know, a, a thankless task because if you really had a series set two or 300 years in the future with humans, how would we even like who who in 1966 or in 2020 would have any interest in watching it? Because the humanity would be it'd be like, well, I mean, we're we're supposedly watching characters from Shakespeare from the Elizabethan era every time we watch a Shakespeare play. But even then, we're watching modern actors as good a Shakespearean scholar interpreters they might be. We're still watching 21st century actors watch do Shakespeare just the same way that 19th century actors declaimed their Shakespeare <laughs> and the same way that Shakespeare is setting tales from ancient and medieval lands that it's the bias of their time you know that the characters they're portraying 
from the Middle Ages and from biblical times are not they're not accurate portrayals of actual people from that era. So there's a there's a bias there about any time we try to leave our time and actually do an accurate portrayal. We're going in the future this time with Star Trek. So the the point of it was to inspire and show a time. The people that say, gee, these issues don't exist then, on one hand, they kind of miss the point, but on the other hand, they have a point. Yeah. Like, as in yeah. relevancy here. And that's when... The time travel, the holodeck, the parallel world show, the, the allegorical shows are meant to be, you know, meant to be the, the half black, half white shows are meant to, even though they're little, that was third season. It's creaky. I apologize for that. But some of the more, the more subtle, nuanced stories about prejudice of different kinds, starting with the Horda even, but uh, bipedal humanoids too, they're a little more subtle and it's one of the threads of the show. They're, they exist too. But it takes those time travel shows that, that DS9 did, taking advantage of the fact they had the first black lead character captain, you know, no coincidence there, but, uh, and going beyond just mere racism. That's why I love Past Tense. It was such a, it was, you know, it was like an out of sight, out of mind dimension. It, it was so thing. ahead of its time, Larry. Yeah. And it so resonates. You know, if you're watching this and you're unfamiliar with Deep Space Nine, um, just watch the, the two-parter past tense. Um, you don't need to know any of the, um, the history of Deep Space Nine. You don't need to know about the Dominion and the founders. We could talk about founders and discrimination on both sides there as well, Larry, on both the founders perspective as well and the very, um, class slash race slash species hierarchy that they've created in their culture. We can talk about that. We can also talk about the Federation's response and the discrimination there. But you don't need to know any of that for past limits. Yeah, the limits of uh, sympathy. Here come the Screans fleeing the Dominion through the wormhole. Oh, Oh, it's a whole race. It's a whole culture of people who are who are who are uh, who are migrants who are refugees. And that touches on that whole issue. Oh, we are so sympathetic for them. Where can we go? Oh, I don't know. We don't know. Can we just your planet needs people to help. We'll do the heavy heart. You know, the we'll do the work that no one else wants to do. Yeah, we don't have we're just getting over this war ourselves. We're pretty poor still. We can't. I mean, that was. That and, goes and, and uh, it you is important. the way their skin peels. I mean, that was yeah. And it is important to have these stories. They give us a chance. You know, we've we've seen yeah, some of this. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can go back and forth. This this could be a very difficult discussion, Larry. We could talk about the way you and I are talking about this. I'm sure we can dive into language we've used and how that has offended me or you or in the comments section. Like this discussion can get very difficult because so many of us in the United States, and I know we have viewers all around the world, and I can't speak to a non-American experience. This is all I've known. But I know in America... It is very difficult to talk about race. It is very hard to be anti-racist when you're living in a society that has so much racism. It's hard. So we need stories that that bypass all of these things right. that make it hard for us to talk about and give us allegory. Uh, I wrote an article for Quartz um, for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek called um, The Psychology of Star Trek's Utopian Future. I think that's what it's called. Um, and one of the things I outlined there is how stories, how fictional stories are able to bypass 
all of the political identity breaks that keep us from talking about this stuff. So we need those allegories. Absolutely. 100%. We need that. Um, it's the same thing. You know, the, the whole allegory story is what Gene's idea, which I'm jumping. I, I don't want to jump into the K3 factor, but yeah, because of 60s TV centers, censors and not touching you know, radical, not touching, controversial, because economics is driving TV. It's advertised. Gene used to say, we're, we're not here to tell you stories. We're here to sell toothpaste. You know? <laughs> um, basically, that's right. what he said. You right. know, we're, we're selling cars and toothpaste, guys. So, <laughs> so the parallel worlds concept, even though we hoot about the Roman planet and the Nazi planet and the gangster planet now, but yes, those allegory, the computer war planet, those were allegories to tell the story, tell the moral that he wanted to tell to get around the censors. But at the same time, yes, rather than banging on an issue with somebody face to face where it's intractable. And I can think of, you know, 10 or 15 right off the top of my head in current society. Instead of banging here, you do a you do an end around and you come over here to this safe place and tell a story. And then you hope maybe some shock at his eyes. Open. I'm not doing my Tamarian right, but. His eye, Temba, his eyes open, whoever it was, that somebody on the backside turns around and maybe sees how you got to there. So, yes, it's like a deceptive. <laughs> it's like a distra- It's like the magician or it's like the teacher with the, you know, the tantrum throwing kid. You do the distraction to get to the to get to the destination. and Hopefully the understanding comes with it. Uh, There's got to be some fancy psychological term for that. Don't tell me. It probably is. And it's <laughs> not in my head right now. Uh, Jared just mentioned. Um, so many. This, this is a great, great example, Jared. Um, Ollie just reminded me um, how I have also noticed recently how the U.S. seems to have uh, commandeered the term American to mean people from the United States only uh, when there are 35 countries in America. I don't know about recent citizens. I'd say for a hundred years, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's go let's go back in time. But this this shows us our um we all have one way of looking at the world, and the world is a very big place. And there are many ways to understand the world and um and our beliefs and that this is this gets back to Idic, and we're gonna talk about Idic a little bit later. And this is where I love our community here and i love these conversations because we are international and that can also make it difficult because i will say things where i am putting as we say in the united states of america where i'm putting my foot in my mouth um but this is also how we learn and grow is if we can trust each other to instead of attacking to each other bringing these things up in a way that we can learn from each other. So, Jared, thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, and it's something that I'm going to think about. Larry, this has been the longest briefing room um, that we've ever had. Can we can we open up the counselor's log? Let's go to the counselor's log, please. All right. So, um, the counselor's log. This is where um, this I has also take... been. Can I just say real quick? This has also been one of the most amazing chats. They seem yeah. to get better every week. And you know, we've got some uncomfortable. I just want to say, there's some uncomfortable. Feelings being exposed. I wish I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with, and I mean everybody in the chat here. I know we won't, just as always, we don't get to everybody. Yeah. And just because the chat is rolling by does not mean that I don't wish I could sit down, and I'm sure you too, uh, sit down and take all of these. These could, 
a fourth of this chat could be a whole panel in itself at a convention. Sometime. Oh yeah. Just oh say. yeah. We could we could do a deep dive into so many of these comments. Like what Tim just said, Star Trek as a television series has come a long way uh, to one moment and line from Captain Pike in the cage where he comments he can't get used to a woman being at the bridge. Yeah, that's that is a big blind spot in um, in the origin of Star Trek in uh, the sexism we have there and the uniforms well, and all of that. And there's just yeah. remember, let's as we say that, let's not blast Star Trek. Let's blast the audience and the culture of the time, because the yeah. whole point was to have a woman on the bridge and have Pike. That's a line that's supposed to reach out to the yeah. audience in 1965 yeah. and True. say, yes, we know there's a woman on the bridge. Yeah. Number one used to it. And we've been retconning that ever since, but yes. Yeah. So, um, for the counselor's log here, you know, this was, this is a bit of an impossible task for me. <laughs> and, um, you know, solve, solve yeah, right. racism in one hour. You know, this is where in the counselor's log, I uh, take a look at things from a psychological science perspective and a mental health perspective and, and do a little bit of a deeper dive. And I was thinking, how can I speak to the psychology of American racism as well as the mental health impact that that has on people who are affected by it, which is all people? Well, Same I'm going to just say a probably. few things. Um, I'm going to say a few things because there's no way I can cover all of it and do it, um, do it justice. But one of the things that I want to say is humans are wired, uh, once we are born to understand the society that we are in. Humans are wired to understand the groups of people that they frequently see. So babies are quite good at differentiating between the faces of people that they see, of all faces, of all backgrounds. But as time goes on, babies start to show only an ability to, to differentiate between the faces that they often see. So right now, <clears throat> right there, Babies are beginning to understand who is in their group and who is not in their group. And if their group has lots of different types of people, they will be able to differentiate that. But if it doesn't, they begin to lose that ability. And another thing that, that young children are, are naturally wired to do is understand status, is understand roles and understand power. And you can understand how this is a safety mechanism that all humans need, that um, babies really need to know who is it that gives them food, who is it that takes care of them, who is it that could potentially hurt them, all of that sort of stuff. Babies and toddlers and kids, they're really wired to understand these relationships. It also means that if a child is growing up in a culture where there is, um, where they only see one type of person, or they only, or they, the messages that they're getting is only a certain group of people have power. These tend to be the people who have the most recent resources. They begin to pick up on those things. So the environment that we grow up in, um, who has resources, who has power, who has, um, who has the greatest access to different things. These things are imprinted upon us. And while we can overcome those things through contact with other people, through understanding and empathy, 
if we don't deal with the larger problems of of resources and segregation, um, these patterns persist. So um, there's so much research that has shown that um, on a resume, two people with the exact same qualifications, if there's a name that sounds more black, or if there's a name that sounds more like a um, ethnic minority or a person of color, mm-hmm. they're less likely to get hired or invited back to in an interview. Perfect. Whatever. Yeah, name. yeah. Th- these we learn associations automatically as kids about the culture we're in, and if there if there are big problems or biases in our culture, those things get imprinted upon us, and they're they're hard to break as time goes on. So, and um, man, Larry, there's so many things I want to I want to say here, but um, one of the things I want to say is, you know, my background is I'm a anxiety expert. That's what I do. Um, and for so long, anxiety has been taught to be a, a false alarm. And we help people to learn through experiences how to manage those false alarms. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people who, uh, especially a lot of black Americans who uh, live in the United States, a lot of the anxiety, the chronic stress, the trauma they've experienced is less about these false alarms, but it's about these real alarms the true alarm right. the true alarms that we have talked about in the in the beginning of the show the police brutality the discrimination the being seen as a fear so there's a lot to do here a lot of work um i'm not saying we're naturally racist what i am saying is we are naturally wired to understand the social world we're in and if that social world is built on structures that have racist policy we will learn those and we will perpetuate those unless we learn differently. So that's my counselor's log, uh, Larry. I, I could spend a whole semester talking about those things and what to do. You could um, spend a whole degree program. Oh, my gosh. But uh, maybe maybe it's time to go K-3. Um, to go got- K-3. <laughs> he went all K-3 on me. <laughs> we got a really Actually, great K-3 for us, Larry. Uh, so why don't you dive in? The way, well, can you put the... Can you put the uh, oh, yeah, the image? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me bring it up. Do, 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 do. We are producing our own show. I wish someone else was producing this, so I wasn't on air at the same time. K three images right here, Larry. I got it right. Oh, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna the, put it up right I there. The K three slide. But oh, the K okay. three slide. Oh yeah, no, did I spoil K3 your K three? Uh, boom. We got K three fact. Okay, right I'll hold it there just a second. Okay, I'm holding. I'm holding. Something's yes. happening. Larry's I'm doing something. I'm trying to say that that third, the the second scale. This is, of course, it's the original series of uh, uh, biology uh, biobed, right? Monitor The second one over was labeled K3. It's the only factor we can find for mental health in the original series, aside from a psycho tricorder, whatever that is. I guess it was attuned to mental <laughs> to neural waves, or whatever. But no, it says the brain index, and so I use K3 to tie in. A deep dive of Star Trek with our topic of the week, and boy is ever because I haven't. I've been scanning our call our our comments here, and I watch the online threads. I just know how people talk. So many people, so many fans who love 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 Star Trek, and anytime we get into a political discussion or a social a social justice discussion about Star Trek, and we talk about so, Star Trek always. As we have been talking about, that was the roots of the show. 
there's pushback about, well, I don't, I don't think that's overtly what Star Trek is about. And I, how do you read that? And that's why I bring up the episode we did on the Trek Files with Rod, where we went back to the sales pitch for Star Trek originally and said, look, look, we took a look at it and said, look, he's selling the show describing what it will be. Nowhere does he say, hey, this is going to be an aspirational champion of diversity and equality. You know, it's there's no there's no agenda to it at all. It just lays out the format of this space show and and here's what they're going to do. And he's just trying to get over the hump of selling the idea that there could be a, a show running around in space that would that would be believable and also producible on a budget. Right. Mm-hmm. And then here's the kinds of stories we could tell. And he lays out some springboards and some of those get at it. He's got one where they're they're like 30. Some of the shows got developed. Some of them didn't. And some of them thankfully didn't. (laughs) But he's got one show where he basically it's a reverse old pre-war, pre-Civil War South Mm -hmm. where the blacks are in power and the whites are the slaves. And it's just, you know, it's oh that's on the nose. But I mean, he's got some, you know, if you read some of those, you get it. But nowhere is there an implicit, uh, we're going to be a champion of this. So you could read that document Mm -hmm. and say, gee, but as I, as Rod and I discussed, you could also look at that as he's trying to sell a show to American networks who may not be filled with inherently racist, you know, studio executives and programming people, but they are people who are very much aware they're in a capitalist system who are very much aware the great they were worried about this in the 60s and then things exploded because it had to be as as 1968 happened and on and on but they were very keen to not diminishing the profit line mm-hmm. we if we do that we'll offend the stations in the south and nobody'll carry the show if right. we do this we'll offend the jewish population we'll offend the catholic viewers we'll offend somebody that lowest common denominator of blandness is what was affecting a lot so Gene loved Gulliver's Travels. He loved uh, uh, Swift stories and the allegory there because it was very subtle. And he, I'm sure he was attracted to that as a storytelling device. And he wanted to do a space show because he, he'd been a pilot. He, he loved that yep. kind of thing. Yep. And he pitched all kinds of – he tried to develop all kinds of shows. He did his – you know, climbing the ladder as a producer, he finally sold his own show. He'd been a writer on Have Gun, Will Travel – He'd been a writer for lots of things in early TV. He finally sold his own show. It was called The Lieutenant. Yep. It was about a young judge advocate general played by Gary Lockwood, i.e. Gary Mitchell, and and from 2001 also. Uh, he was the lead. It was about a young, you know, bright-eyed law student in the Marines, in the JAG Corps, at, at a fictional Marine base, which was really Camp Pendleton, California. He had the full cooperation of the Marines and the Department of Defense. They used soldiers as extras. They used the base to film on. It was perfect. And he told all these, and he wanted to tell adult stories. He didn't want to, you know, he was Gene. He didn't want to do Adult stories meaning um, <laughs> serious drama. Serious drama. Yeah. Not easy, no, not, not easy drama, but also doing some issue shows. Okay. All well and good. They at times made the Pentagon a little uncomfortable, but they went along. For the 21st episode of the season, back when they were 25, 26 episodes long, he wrote an episode, actually, a a writer named Lee Irwin, that I just found out was born in the town where I went to college in Oklahoma. Uh, 
So Lee Irwin, who wound up also writing Whom Gods Destroy, third season, and many, many other shows, was a working writer. Lee Irwin wrote an episode about racism. Uh, a, a white Marine and a black Marine cannot get along. Um, they went through the story process. The studio and the network both said, this is too controversial. We cannot air this. And he pushed and pushed and There's pushed. And they, they filmed it. Yes. Yeah. Gary Mitchell there on the left, uh, before Starfleet. He was in the Marines. You didn't know that. Um, <laughs> but the point is that not race, racism, yes, but, but letting the structure of the time, the economic base, even if you wanted to, even if there were sympathetic people along the way who thought this would be an awesome show, I totally agree with you. But just like Betty Russell's writing team, you know, just like, just like the people that Dax was hanging with in 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 um, Far Beyond the Star in, in Future Ten and Past Tense, all the people that wanted to help but they weren't quite there. Right. They made the show. They filmed it. The network refused to pay for it. The um, the studio refused to pay for it. And most of all, the Pentagon did not want the con. They had we've had integrated armed forces since 1948 in Harry Truman after World War Two. It's not that the Pentagon was racist. They just did not want that problem to blow up. So this episode, not only was it not funded, it was not aired. The Pentagon did pulled its its support of the show, the Marine Corps. The show was canceled after that. Like they ran, they had two or three more episodes to show. It was not picked up again. It so pissed off Roddenberry that he couldn't tell. A story about, or we're talking about other things. Why can't I talk about this? I've got characters who are Asians. They get, you know, it's like we tell things. You know, but this white-black racial divide issue had so touched a nerve, even by people who weren't racist, but they quote, went along quote, with quote, the system. Quote, racist, right. Yes, I'm air quoting. Yeah. That they had to, they felt like they had to go along with the system. It so pissed him off. He said, well, damn it, then I'm going to tell these stories but my people aren't going to be black and white. They're going to be purple and green or yeah. polka dot. And we'll put them on alien planets and I'll still right. get the point across and the censors will let me do it. And that, and that was really we'll the spark it. that led to right. that led to Star Trek. So your K3 factor here is today is yes, go through the entire pitch document for Star Trek. You can't find any overt progressive idealism in there anywhere as part of the show. But that's exactly what made Gene finally take the idea off the shelf and go out and try to sell the damn thing. And he yeah, did. I, I'd love that <clears throat> explanation, Larry. I, oh, oh, can I, I, here, can I really, double down on the K3 real yeah. fast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can you put the picture back up? Oh, put the picture back up? Yes. yes. Boom, K3. Now our black and white picture. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's amazing what? is this episode was not seen until years later when it was part of DVD packages and it was on some special, cha- you know, the retro channels. The whites, the white racist Marine was played by Dennis Hopper and 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 uh, Lieutenant Boma there, Don Marshall, is playing the black Marine and Don Marshall's girlfriend, fiance, the black Marine's fiance in her first acting role, Michelle Nichols. Boom. There we Boom. go. <laughs> this is, you know, Larry, you have a way of uh, bringing all these webs of uh, of 
everything together. In we K3, connect the dots. So I, connect I didn't the dots, invent yeah. the stuff, but we just yeah. connect the dots. You connect the dots. I really appreciate that. That's what and, we do in Trekland. I mean, it, it also <laughs> helps us to understand why we saw the vision of Star Trek that we saw in the original series. It also helps us to understand how that uh, philosophy could evolve into the next generation and then um, and all of the subsequent um, uh, sequels uh, series that were created without Gene Roddenberry, how they were able to uh, to to jump on onto those ideas. And this is where, Larry, if you and I can vent for a second and probably alienate some people... Uh, yeah, we which, should start uh, venting. We haven't done it enough. Yeah, I know. You know, the, the, the pushback that people have had against Star Trek Discovery for going too far, for being too diverse, for embracing too much diversity, for being, you know, social justice warriors. Ali, um, Ali yeah, yeah. did you know that the entire first uh, eight minutes and 47 seconds of Discovery was two women of color alone in a scene yeah. together? Yeah. Oh, my. For minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes. (laughs) You know, that um, it's it's always been a part of Star Trek. This is what ITIC means, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. This is when it's introduced on screen in the original (laughs) series, ITIC. This is why it was introduced, because Gene had something to say and this is the only way that he could say it it's always been you know if passivity is the heartbeat of racism um diversity has been the heartbeat of star trek and it hasn't always gotten it right and we know that with sexism we know that with um what is that episode one of the worst episodes of star trek the next generation that is extremely racist code of honor Star Trek hasn't always gotten it right. Yeah, it's it's. Um, and you know what, Code of Honor? Can I just say real quick, Code of Honor that we all love to is oh my god, like they're they're just these Africans on a planet, so so totally stereotypical. Code of Honor started out as the best of intentions, trying to be a character exploration for Tasha Yar, and it was like this. It was a case of the left hand, the right hand, and the middle hand did not, and it was an early show. They did not gel, and a lot of unfortunate decisions all piled up into this thing, a train wreck. That By the end of the time, you're like, was nobody paying attention here? So, yes, absolutely. But it didn't start out to be that way, which is sad, which is, again, another another cautionary tale, right? Well, and this is where um, – th- this is something I want to talk about. Um, this is actually a very good um, segue into our um, away mission. Thank God. This <laughs> – because <laughs> this is the on the show the- here, your away mission implies that we've actually got some takeaways we can put into real life. I hope so. I hope so. Um, that's what I try to do with the away mission is give you all something <laughs> that you can do to practice this. And so this is something I've been working very hard on um, this week myself. And um, here's the thing. The way we talk about racism and being racist in the United States of America, Jared, I'm trying to say United States of America as opposed to just American, um, is we we tend to present it as an identity that that person is racist and um, you are racist. This institution is racist and something, again, I've been inspired by how to be an anti-racist and I've, I've begun to read this book by Ibram Kendi 
And one of the things he talks about, he he's this black historian at American University, and he opens that book talking about his own racism and mm-hmm. how he um, he was speaking at this uh, oratory competition in high school and giving a very um, uh, anti-black racist speech, and he didn't even realize he was doing it. And so he talks about how we are all capable of saying and doing racist things Mm -hmm. sometimes while we're also capable of saying and doing anti-racist things racist things meaning um saying things that talk about differences between people Mm -hmm. and anti-racist things which are about um promoting uh equity between people people should be treated um the same way and we should do away with institutions that uh, discriminate and we should rectify the problems that we have in our society, the inequality we have in society. So my away mission for this week is for us to start understanding that racism, it, it's something that you do. It's not, and for most of us, racism is not an identity, but we are all capable of saying and doing racist things. And we're all, uh, we're all capable unintentionally of is what you're saying yeah absolutely unintentionally we might not even realize that we're doing it and um you know if you've said or done something racist congratulations you're a human being we're we we struggle with group differences our history is of small tribal groups we have we struggle with this we've come a long way and that's also something that gives me incredible hope about our species is we are able you you and gene both (laughs) i'm in very good company then um what what gives me incredible hope and what separates us what if you again i I mentioned um um, sapiens the book um a a few weeks ago in one of our first shows but what gives me so much hope is as a species we're able to collaborate beyond our tribes most animals aren't really able to collaborate beyond their their bloodline their their families they can't really collaborate beyond a hundred people but look at the space mission that's thousands of people have collaborated from the people who who mined the ingredients that leads to the creation of the spaceship to the people who have done the math to the people who are sitting in those vehicles it's thousands and thousands of people who are who have collaborated together we can do this as a species it is hard work but it, it we are able to work together across our tribes across our bloodlines across our communities across beliefs across these different racial groups um so it's possible, but what, 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 what it means is we have to recognize that we can all say and do racist things. We can all be a part of institutions and organizations that say and do racist things. And we're also, the hope about this is every day is another opportunity to be anti-racist. So what's the away mission? Well, two things. Number one is if this is something you are less familiar with, if this is something you're beginning to understand this week or in recent times, that's okay. Welcome to this journey of being more, uh, of as we talk about in this show, of bettering yourself. Um, it starts with really understanding the history. Th- this gets back to that Voyager episode. What's the name of that Voyager episode, Larry? Uh, that I'm 
mentioned, remember? Rem- is that what it's called? Remember? Yes. That's pretty, easy to remember. pretty on the nose title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets back to remember. <laughs> so we can't move forward if you don't have a shared understanding of our past. So uh, if, if you want the easiest introduction to this as it relates to racism in the United States, watch 13th. It's free. It's on Netflix. Eva DuVernay's uh, documentary. It's wonderful. Um, watch that. It's a great introduction to this. Then think about this. I know it's overwhelming. There's so much to do. What what can you do in your community? Whether that means where you work, whether that means in your family, whether that means with your friend, to not be passive. When you when you see something that is racist, what can you do to not be passive? That's that's a thing that I think we can all take away from this is um it's not enough to not do anything. It's not enough to not be racist. We have to be anti-racist, which means stand up for for equity. Um, so what I'm doing to share with all of you, I've been hesitant to talk about this stuff on YouTube, on my channel, because every time I have, I've been hit by a wall of racist comments of um, hateful comments that are trying to shut me down. You often don't see them because YouTube filters them, but I see them. And sometimes there's emails. But I can't, I, I can't be passive about that anymore. Um, I just can't because if I'm passive, it's, it's contributing to the problem. So think about just in your life, in your community, what can you do to stand up, get educated about this? And then what can you do to not be passive, to be active in promoting the solution. It's not a clear away mission, Larry, but it's the best I've got because there's no clear answers here. If uh, there was an easy answer, we would have moved past this ages ago. Yeah. I saw, uh, so, I'm going to apologize. I've seen so much. On one hand, we were diving into our chat. We've got an amazing chat crowd. And I think we've had people um, who are uncomfortable. We've got people yep. who weren't popular. We've got people who have come and gone. I saw one, and I now, and I also have seen some some things that are worth getting out there and talking about that we can't get. Uh, so Scott, coming in from my page on Facebook, he said something I meant to mention, which is, and you were talking when we were talking about the studies of babies and infants yeah. and yeah, the yeah. Like, uh, totally led into this. Not Star Trek, and it, but it was very bold for the time in the late '40s, right after World War II. Of all things, Rodgers and Hammerstein in South Pacific, that song, You've Got to Be Carefully Taught. Mm-hmm. Like, as we said, babies very quickly pick up on, they're not, they're not ascribing judgments and values. Yeah. They just know what they see around them, what they hear. And, but even then, they're not, I mean, they have, that's learning. Yeah. Babies are born as a blank slate. And yeah. the song, You've Got to Be Carefully Taught, is all about how, you know, racism is, it was all set in the South Pacific with a- Asian, you know, Islanders in, in the World War Two, you know, intersection with the Europeans. But yeah, um, and, yeah, and that's a point. Some uh, somebody else said though that um, may have been Scott too. So I'm apologizing. We're not scrolling all the way back. Someone said they'd always looked at racism as just a waste of time. Mm. Like how much time is lost, how much energy is lost into fighting all that when the world could just. It's kind of like when we do, we have a project and we procrastinate on something, we spend all this time dithering, we could just get the damn thing done faster. Although it's like prejudice is a weaponized form of, of not procrastination, but time wasting. 
Well, and I would say it's a waste of time, except for those for whom it benefits. <laughs> and if you look at the origin of this of the United States, um, it's it's built on on slavery. It was one of the most economically profitable um, endeavors of this country. It just also happened to be incredibly inhumane and destroyed generations of people. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what we also have to look at is um, how stupid it is. Yes. And also, what's it doing? And how is it impacting society? For some and while, people, not stupid at all. Yeah, yeah. And while babies are born with this blank slate, we've also sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally created systems that uh, perpetuate and accelerate those differences. You know, the University of California just did, a, did away with the SATs. And um, one of the reasons why I did it is because they found the SAT to be a very racially biased test that it does very well for people who have access to the resources um, to prep for it. But that's really all it's testing is how well prepared, how many resources people have to prepare for the SAT. So, to prepare for a test. To prepare and that's for a, a that's test. A- and, you know, they've even expanded that, not just racial bias, but just cultural bias and yes. socioeconomic bias. Yes. Uh, it's also that's you say that it's like right now in the Corona time, we've shut down schools with the emphasis on on online learning. And people are starting yeah. to count the number, the millions of school kids that the whole world is not on. That's just, the Internet age is awesome. It's dangerous and fraught with difficulties. Uh, and it's exposed a lot of, you know, ugliness and dangers, but it's also done been wonderful. So it's a tech, it's a tool. But how many people have no access to it? How many kids have been totally left behind because they had no internet access? Yeah, or, or inadequate internet access. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I've done I've done a few assemblies at schools in recent months because now it doesn't matter if you're physically there or not. It's all over, uh, Zoom. Um, and you can, you can see the inequity, whereas before going to school, um, at least people were in the same place. Now their homes are exposed and their Internet connection speed is exposed. You can tell who is sheltering in place in a log cabin um, in a faraway place versus who um, doesn't have a lot of space, maybe is living with a lot of family and um, also has unstable internet. Um, not only can you see that, but the unstable internet, it's such a blatant example of uh, differences in access that they're not able to, yeah, they're not able to access the same class and lecture as other people can because the internet is so spotty because there's economic inequality here. It's like showing up to school in shabby clothes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you can't hide that. And and worse yet is uh, schools haven't quite figured out a way for also those who struggle with mental health and struggle with being exposed um, and being on camera. S- schools have kind of required that your video has to be on so they can prove you're actually there. Um, there I can't remember who – there was a girl somewhere – who figured out how to make her Zoom background a video of her pretending to pay attention. So she played this and then actually, like, left school. So, like, there are these real problems. She's, 
She's playing Moriarty. She's got her own. <laughs> right. She's got her own holodeck play. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, you know, there are real problems there. Um, but uh, the coronavirus and COVID-19, which is which was the genesis of this show, um, has exposed inequality. And we know the coronavirus has differently differentially impacted communities of color specifically um, black Americans, but also Latinx Americans, um, people in the United States, again, people who have less access to resources, people whose communities have been neglected for for decades are the ones who are worst impacted by coronavirus. Um, Which is amazing because coronavirus, we say that it's exposed so much, but corona, uh, it's a virus. It has the least agenda. Yes. Anything operating in the world. It, It doesn't care what it hits, which is exactly why it's so revealing. You know, it's it it has exposed every fracture in our societies. It also has exposed some of the best parts of mm-hmm. our societies. And I think, Larry, we would be remiss to say that the protests that have um, occurred not only in the United States, but across right. the world have been almost exclusively peaceful. Um, the news really likes to show looting and things like that. But well, it's good TV. It's, it's bad TV. social policy. But And I will say that the last few days, most of the media I've watched have realized the power of being seduced by the looting. So you're watching 5% of the or 2% of the crowd getting 99% of the attention. And there's been a big, now it's turned into, we'll keep a camera there if things become newsworthy. But look, here's the thousands who are just doing a die-in. Or here's the thousands taking a knee. Here's the thousands, and here's the thousands all around the world. Yes. In foreign cities. Yes. So yes, I think we're even, there's been an evolution even in the last seven ten days, but that is a, that is an issue that 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 the, the the dirty underside gets all the attention. And um, I, I think it, it it gives me hope to see how much we have been united, not only in trying to stop the coronavirus and COVID nineteen, but also how much the world has has uh, is uniting around. Um, this issue of racism and discrimination and um, that 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 gives me hope in, in all of this when it gets back to that utopian future that we were talking about I always believed always believed meaning like the last 10 years but <laughs> I, I thought that our version of Star Trek's utopian future would come through t- climate change that this catastrophic dangerous event which oh. will impact Every single human being on this planet, this would be the catalyst. This would be our first contact moment where we the realize great equalizer. we yeah. Yes, this would be the great equalizer that means like, look, whether whatever country you're from, whatever your background, we have to work together to solve this. And the only way we're going to solve this is through everyone really uniting together. I thought that that was going and, to and I thought that wouldn't happen until it really starts to break apart our economies. Um, because that's when the rich countries um, and also some of the rapidly developing countries who are rapidly burning more carbon would realize, oh, my gosh, we have to do something about this. Um, that's what I believed. Now I'm thinking, gosh, is this is this our moment? The coronavirus, how it has really impacted our global economy 
exposed all of the problems in terms of our health care, our access, the disparities that exist. And now um, also the, the world in so many ways uniting around these issues of racism, discrimination, um, tolerance, diversity, equity. Is this it? Are we getting there? You know, you're such an optimist because in my <laughs> heart of hearts, global warming, yeah, global racism and inequality, yeah, I there's times when I think that we will never, ever, ever become one with no others yeah. until we get to transfer our other to the first. I mean, I hope it's Vulcans, <laughs> but... I've I've often thought that, and assuming it's not a it's not a first contact that ends in us being obliterated. I always like to go with Gene that thought that, that if any any civilization that advanced far enough not to blow itself up yeah. had to be far enough along to get to the point of maturity where it, it was an interstellar, you know, travel where it could, if it could go among the stars, that means it had already proved its own survivability to itself. So hopefully they would be interested in making contact, not in conquest. Yeah. Or obliteration. So that's that's you know all the dystopian you know Independence Day <laughs> type movies are one thing. The day the Earth stood still, or the other kind, but the or you know the um, the Martians invading or whatever. I'd like to go with that. So assuming that we had you know well intentioned visitors, I've often thought that until we could transfer our other from one of our, each other, different different religion, different colored skin something here that the great unifier among us it's like when a country has internal political divisions and the moment you know you're attacked from outside then everybody rallies around the flag and faces the enemy or dictators make up a fake attack from the outside to unify their people under them either way i didn't know that humanity as a whole on earth saw three would ever unify until we had that moment and then i was kind of like well i hope it's not i hope i can trust gene to think that they're going to be peaceful and you know, well, that our so, most unifying moment is becoming cannon fodder for an invading alien. So, so I would gladly go with um, backing away from global destruction or racism is because is, it will happen a lot faster. Well, so there's there's a, a lot here. Oh, that wasn't too twisted. No, no, no. I think this there's there's a lot here to to unpack. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting in, in the comment section. Linda is talking about how um, more uh, more viruses might be released. You know, the the melting of the pernif- uh, permafrost permafrost is a concern. Um, there are thousands of year old viruses. In, Constantly pushing back the frontier and having that human-animal interaction in yes, place. Yes, an, and and that's one of the things as as we push farther out, as we push our civilization farther out, go. we're getting in contact with other animals that um, carry viruses that we have no immunity to. That's where the novel coronavirus probably mm-hmm. came from: is contact that we shouldn't have had. Um, and as our ice uh, polar ice caps are melting, there are viruses frozen in them that are thousands of years old that we probably have no immunity to. So the the future really relies upon us working together, not only to curtail our advances as a species, but also 
to have a united front to tackle these problems. Because um, they're inevitable. They're inevitable. Absolutely. The, the more we have expanded the reach of humanity, the more it requires cooperation across tribal lines, national lines, all of these different things that divide us. Um, otherwise, we're not in good shape. You talking about the things that don't turn up when you're in space looking back at Earth? Well, so that's that's the thing I want to talk about. Don't see all those lines drawn. If people are very interested in this, uh, in the research on this, on why haven't we made contact with alien life, um, Vox has a series called Explained, which is uh, quite good. Not only their anxiety episode, which I highly recommend, where you might see a familiar face in there, but um, they have an episode on um, alien life. And LeVar Burton actually narrates this episode. And he talks about the research into and the theories behind alien life and why we haven't encountered it right now. And there is this hurdle hypothesis that is there a hurdle to interstellar contact Mm -hmm. that not only we haven't overcome, but um, that other species haven't overcome. Is there a hurdle that once you develop the technology that might allow you to make contact with other species, does it also create a existential threat to that species as well? Whether it's nuclear war, whether it is um, um, some other form of destruction. Um, and I hope we're not, I hope that that is not true. Um, that, we, that we faced with harnessing the atom again, right. you know, in the 40s. Oh, right. look at this tremendous power. We can light up the entire planet or yeah. we can kill the entire planet. It's, right, yes. right. So um, if people are interested, um, it's, a, it's a fantastic documentary that explores all of those things. But that, that hurdle hypothesis re- has really stuck with me is what is going to be our hurdle to get there? And are we going to be able to cross it? And I think the 21st century is going to be very revealing in that. Not only Star Trek's 21st century, but our timeline as well. Um, Name of that series was what again? Vox is Explained. And mm-hmm. I think it's the specific episode is Alien Life. I think it's from their first season of, of Explained. Is this um, on a streaming? Is it's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I think on- they have some clips of it on YouTube if, if people are interested. Um, Scott says, have you seen LeVar's Instagram story from yesterday or the day before telling a story from his USC days? It's really enlightening and beautifully told because he's LeVar. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, um, Larry, I, I, sh- I would be remiss if I didn't mention, um, speaking of LeVar Burton, um, one of the core memories I have from my childhood is every year my family sat down and we watched Roots, um, which was probably LeVar Burton's first role. I think. That was his, yes. Yeah. <laughs> to put it mildly, that was his breakout. Yes. Yeah. To um, the point where when Next Generation, this is people don't believe this, but I saved the AP story. When Next Generation was announced. Yeah. And it didn't matter what the billing order for the cast was. When they just talked to people on their star power, Next Generation has been announced with LeVar Burton, the star of Roots, a kid who is in Stand By Me, and a British Shakespearean guy you may know from Dune, <laughs> and some other people. And that was the yeah. way, but you know, it's like the only name in the cast people knew was LeVar because of Roots. LeVar and Will, um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, well, you, he, it was only his one thing. You knew it, and it had only been a year or two before. Yeah. 
the kid from where, the kid from Stand by Me, and people yeah. went, "Oh yeah, that one." The, yeah, no, not that one. The other one. Yeah, yeah, the narrator no, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. Um, yeah, it's uh, Roots was um, mm-hmm. core Brown. in in my understanding of uh, American history with slavery. And um, someone in the comments previously met. We put it on screen, but um, when it comes to history, it's so important to not only know what we're taught in school because history the history you're taught in school is really um you know it's sanctioned by the government by state curriculum it is written by quote unquote the the victors of history right that so it's so important to get history from multiple contexts which some people might get in college if you have the privilege to go to college and study that but not all of us do and it is important to hear the history of people who have experienced persecution, which we've talked a lot about um, uh, black Americans in the United States. We haven't talked about indigenous people, American Indians. Um, You know, this country is not only built on the back of slavery, but it's also built on the genocide of, of people who lived here for hundreds of years before any settlers came to the United States. The genocide and mostly free land. Yeah. 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 So it's, um, you know, history is, is tough. We need we have to understand where we came from to understand uh, where we're going and the challenge. We can't, we we can't inara this. Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah. from Remember, from Voyager. Yeah. Um, Larry, there is so much. Uh, oh, did you ever says, officially put up the hailing? I did. I, ho- I opened the hailing frequency. Oh, I subtly open hail? opened okay. them. The hails um, are open. Yeah, the hails have been the hails been open for a while here. Tim said the hails are alive with the sound. <laughs> the hails yeah. are alive with the sound of DMs. Um, yes. Patrick Stewart was the most well known here in the UK due to his theater work. Um, yeah, what, oh, was wow. Patrick Stewart a, a well known actor um, at the time in in the United Kingdom as uh, as it relates to the Next Generation? If you, I see, he was he was Royal Shakespeare Company on stage. He may have done some. I mean, he was he was in um, um, oh, the Shakespeare uh, series filmed. Uh, was he? Is it I Claudius? He was in. He was Septimus and I Claudius. I'm totally going on. I mean, that sounds right. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this was seen in the states and probably showed in. The, I don't know. We need some of our Brits to. You know, I I know Klingons really love it, but I'm not a huge Shakespeare guy. Um, I love. I love uh, things that are based on Shakespeare. I love West Side Story. I love I, I love a lot of those other um, takes, but uh, I, I never I, quite got into. So here's a name I don't. I, I you know I try to say hello to our new people in the chat. I do that on my own Trekland on Tuesdays live and and all, but um, I'm losing track here, which is great. So on YouTube, uh, Lazarek Majdi. Mm-hmm. said there's a lot of anger and fighting in the world nowadays before corona and increasing after any explanation yeah so that's, that's a good question scott uh, says yes it was i claudius yay okay <laughs> but yeah it, are we, it's because to me it just feels like there's there are pendulum swings and maybe that this is like a this is these are growing pains well if we so, could not blow ourselves up this could so be steven steven pinker is a psychologist <laughs> out, out of harvard who um, came out with a book a few years ago about violence and looks at violence from the beginning of our species to now. And if you take that long perspective, actually the 20th century is one of the most peaceful centuries that we've ever experienced. And violence 
over the course of our entire species is actually down, um, tremendously has come down. And so the average person walking outside in the world is far safer now than you were 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, and going all the way back. So violence is actually down, um, big picture perspective. I think what's what's happening now is as we make progress and as we become a bit more global and as different groups of people are interacting together, like right now, we have, if we took a, if we could look at the analytics here and to see where everyone is coming from in, in the world, this is an international audience, like that would be, it would be impossible 10, 20 years ago for Larry and I to host a conversation that has people from all over the world at the same time. That also means our beliefs, our backgrounds, our biases, they're all colliding too. So diversity is hard. It's better. That's that's the story of social media, period. We've gone global, yay. We've gone global, oh my. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's a good good summary of it. You know, diversity is is, having a diverse team and a diverse organization is better. It makes your organizational stronger because people are coming in with different perspectives. The more diversity you have in perspectives, the better you are able to solve problems. It also creates more conflict. We, and we have to build up our muscles for working through that conflict. That's what we're trying to do here. So some of the, um, some of that pushback you might be seeing is related to our progress. We make progress and our conflict changes and becomes a little bit different. And as we mentioned earlier, as we make progress towards anti-racism, racism also makes progress in thwarting that. So, um, it's a challenge, but big picture, Humanity is doing way better right now than we ever have in our past. I just want to say we're inhaling frequencies. We have not reminded folks. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we, you, you know, the chat's wonderful, guys, but we would love to have some camera calls um, on Skype. You can Skype in at Life Support Live Host. Uh, let us know you're trying to call, and uh, we'll see if we can get somebody on camera with us. Can you go full frame just for a second, um, Ali? Full frame meaning what? On, on um, me? I might get, if we get a call, I might get bumped at anyway for a second. Full <laughs> frame on you for just a second. I yeah, want to adjust yeah. something here. Sure. Um, let's see. Um, we're getting some comments. Um, Jana's is, uh, is uh, and Tim are talking about Dune. Um, and, you know, something I, I, uh, I have a hard time admitting here is... Um, Dune is something I've only seen, uh, parts of, um, I've only seen it, uh, I haven't seen the whole thing, uh, altogether. Um, so yeah. Okay. I'm back. Okay. Larry is back. And I was, uh, I was trying to cover for you, Larry. Let me, let me bring you back into the fold here. Um, all right. I'm going to put, get you full and get us on the right sides over here. Um, Larry, why don't you cover me for a second while I see? I think we have a, a caller. Um, I'm going to get set up with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get uh, set no, up. No, were, we were talking about Dune for, uh, yes, the David Lynch uh, miniseries, I think it was. Or maybe it was released. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, Patrick was um, was in the uh, the top ten of the cast there. All right. Uh, caller, uh, would you mind introducing yourself? 
Hi, I'm Dan Lackey. Hi, Dan. Dan, you were our kind he of our second half caller, our Dan's half caller on episode being two. a half a call. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're very excited to have you back on the show, Dan. Um, actually, in a way that we can hear you now. Um, oh, so thanks for joining us on Life Support Live. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so uh, reactions, thoughts on what we've been talking about today. And no, no pressure because you're representing the entire audience today. No. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, really interesting. Yeah, and very uh, um, relevant to Star Trek and to the the, the current um, worldwide scene, really. Yeah. So, what's your take been on on what has been happening recently, and and how this relates to Star Trek and what we love? Big question. question. <laughs> yeah, take it in any direction you like. Something motivated you to call. What do you? What have you thought about the discussion today? It's not a tidy. It's not a tidy talk, and there are all kinds yeah. of loose angles and loose ends, and you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been trying got, to call for a few weeks. We've got two white now. guys and kind of a brown guy here sitting talking about it today. So that's the other thing that. Uh, well, you said that you've been you've been wanting to call for a while now. Um, sounds like you've been wanting to talk about something for a while. So, um, how can we help? I just find it interesting. <laughs> I'm obviously, sure if your format of um, having sort of guests on uh, and how you do that. Um, well, I was I wasn't ready to be quizzed, basically. <laughs> <laughs> our format is whatever we want it to be, Larry. Uh, we have no idea what our format is either. Um, we'd love to talk to you about about Star Trek, about what we've been talking about this week. Um, we can take it in, in whatever direction. You yeah, like. so, so I mentioned in the comments, um, I thought it was interesting that Star Trek didn't have, as I said to uh, Larry uh, briefly um, during this past week, I thought it was interesting that Star Trek didn't have a black captain in command of a starship um, until Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Um, I've always, I was, um, earlier tonight, I was thinking about the earliest, um, what's the earliest examples of prejudice in the original series. Mm. And yes, there's that moment when, um, you know, the, the comment that's made about Pike uh, possibly being uncomfortable about having a female on the bridge. Um, there's also, um, as I mentioned in the comments, uh, I find it quite interesting, the, uh, and quite, uh, relevant, the, um, the episode with Meaty, which has, um, Meaty's peers, you know, they're, they sort of take a prejudiced viewpoint towards, um, grops, as they call them, um, which I suppose is, is particularly, um, could be looked at as relevant in these times as well because of the disease angle um, that is uh, that is common in that society. I didn't, I don't exactly think of well. I guess it's a society. It's like a Lord of the Flies, although it's not violent. But I mean, it's it's a it's a an arrested society as, as they used to love to say in the sixties. Mm. You know, it's an outgrowth. Well, sorry. They do take violence against Captain Kirk, don't they? With like bonk bonk on the head and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Oh no, no, I'm not. I'm not quite painting them as yeah. But I, what I mean is, we haven't seen them. They kind of stand back and they know that when someone basically goes into puberty, they go into the change, they go off and and die. 
But I mean, the rest mm-hmm. of them seem to get along based on a age order, but they're aging very slowly. But my, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I I love the. Rubs- Bonk bonk on the head. Um, yeah. a great, a great line that I, I think uh, Mission Log has really uh, championed. No pun intended there for our our Mission Log fan <laughs> in the audience, but um, it's it's is really great to have those bonk bonk on the head moments. Um, sometimes we need that, and sometimes we need the more subtle allegory. As uh, remember in Voyager is a, a really great example of that. Yeah. You know, and this is one of the things that uh, Linda's just mentioned. Fascinating point. I thought that you were uh, you were referencing ageism, but the disease angle is more important. This is one of the beautiful things about media is as we go back to these stories and look at it through our lens of right now in our life experience, there's different things we can take away. I mean, it's it's isn't it amazing that we're still talking about the original series? Um 50 years later, more than 50 years later, and these there's still so much here that we can take from and help us to understand the world we're in right now. When when uh, younger viewers, younger eyes talk about how it's difficult to watch the original series even when they want to, just because of the difference in acting style or the editing and pacing, I always, you know, I say, yes, that's true. And there's a great difference. I think City on the Edge of Forever holds up pretty well. For people that are that are sensitive that way but i want to say you know for context guys and context is not just for kings <laughs> star trek discovery <laughs> star trek discovery there that um it's like go try to watch any other one hour drama much less a sitcom from 1966 and see you know it's like there's a reason why only three or four one hour dramas from that time survive even the ones that were doing good works can seem really dated or naive now or whatever and that's just that's just that's a good thing if we were still stagnant and everything from the 60s looked fresh and new then then there's something wrong with us but when you do have something that stands out that is worth watching 50 years later even for its you know warts at all here's i want to throw this out because it's something i didn't realize until three or four years ago because i went along with the whole oh my god the mini skirts that's so sexist from the 60s until a woman, a, a longtime feminist, reminded me that for about 10 minutes in the 60s, miniskirts were an act of rebellion. Hmm. They weren't a miniskirts were no old white guy or old guy in New York or Milan. You are not going to tell me what to wear. I'm not being dictated on fashion by you. I'm going to do this. And they were seen as an actor. It was like burning your bra part of the, the early feminist movement, the early women's lives. Which I think Larry never really happened. I think, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments section, but I don't think any bras were actually burnt in the in, in protest. Maybe. Well, there was like, people were burning their draft cards. So that, no, I think there were some, sta- nothing else staged, you know, photo op moments. But, but what my point here is that we look back at miniskirts now because they very quickly became a sexist, you know, male ogling thing and, you know, objectification and all that. But for a moment, and I'm not knocking them in, a lot of women love it. A lot of women love to show, you know, whatever. What I'm saying is in the moment, it's lost on how miniskirts were seen as an act of rebellion by women against the patriarchy fashion world 
and and telling them what they could and couldn't wear. And the whole thing about where are the hemlines this year? Oh, they're low. Oh, they're medium. Oh, they're you know. So just, just to throw that out there. And yeah, and of course, there's the moment, um, at least one moment in the next generation when males are seen wearing uh, skirts. And of course, even Scotty wore. Yeah, even Scotty wore a kilt, really, in the in the original series as a type of skirt. Well. Yeah, it's um, I'm I, I was uh, I was, that was an that ancient we, culture skirt, so that was okay. <laughs> I was bummed we didn't see more <laughs> of the next generation scant, um, uh, just to have some some continued diversity there. Um, uh, so that that was a bummer, but um, you know we see this with uh, Counselor Troy's uniform as well. Um, I I thought it was it was a big moment with her character when she finally did pass the bridge exam and was also given a same uniform as as everyone else. I thought she was more empowered that way when we finally saw that. So that was great when um, her character finally got that same agency that that a lot of the other characters had. Of, of course, Maria would say, you know, less boobs, more brain. It's like, yeah. you know. She talks about that switch, and they weren't simultaneous. She 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 uh, she took the bridge exam after she'd been in uniform for a while, but it all flowed out of out of the later next generation, yeah, uh, evolution. We'll just say. <clears throat> um, Dan, I want to thank you for being our next caller here. As uh, Jared said, uh, if I can find his comment, uh, a bonk bonk on the head is also how Ali's wife tells him that it's time to end the show, which is also true. So, um, Dan, thank you for for being with us again this week um, and uh, actually being able to hear you this time. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much for having me. And yeah. I'd like to give a, a quick uh, shout out to... Uh, Portal 47, the laddies wearing the badge, and I'm currently wearing the t-shirt. Oh, oh I love it. Can, yeah. I love I don't it. Know if you can see that. Yeah, thank, you, thank you for sharing that. We it's were virtually mini-conning all year long, way before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you, Dad. We'll, yeah. we'll uh, see you in the next one. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. See you. <laughs> So we've got people from all the platforms. I'm looking at the chat here all over the place. Just remember that. Uh, see, Linda says, yes, bras were burned. And I think there are photos. I think there's news footage, too. Yeah. Videos. Uh, um, there's a new effort um, to unite the Star Trek community. Larry, can you can you share a little bit about that? I know Portal 47 is a part I, of it. Yes. So uh, it started off with nine podcasters and web pages, news sites. There's been more added. I know Trek FM is getting going to be getting involved. They haven't announced it yet, but uh, Mark Altman's Inglorious Trek Spurts, some of the other media-related podcasts, uh, the Inverse podcast are getting involved who've been covering modern Star Trek. Anyway, Trekkies hashtag, Trekkies together, all it is is just trying to show the Star Trek community's growing uh, support of Black Lives Matter movement, of the need for police reform, of this, again, Band-Aid being stripped away, our uh, Shaka, our eyes opened, or Temba, whichever Marion it was. But the growing awareness and something that we, we've touched on, and I want to hit it again here at the end, the systemic part of it, because that's what blends into the background. That's why people, and I know Bill early in the show, he was on the chat saying, I'm not racist, I don't know any racists. Not trying to call. When we've said everybody's a racist, it's in kind of a. It's you know. It's it's when we say we are all fill in the blank. When we all feel 
the same way. It's not that we're all guilty and should be, you know, thrown in jail or put in a corner here. It's that we're all guilty of being human yeah. and in, in a mass way not being aware. And a lot of times it's it's not our fault. Like I said, those babies are being wired in an early age to what's around them. But it's our responsibility as adults to not stick our heads in the sand, not live in a cave, especially when we're in a global world with this global technology. Um, and we do have access to the information. Like you said, a lot of these documentaries, a lot of things were, were not easily available. We've got streaming YouTube. We've got the docs on Netflix, on on um, on Prime, all those channels. And we've got more and more voices getting access to be producers, not just of documentaries, but of one-hour dramas and sitcoms and having a more global worldview, all those voices. So all these things, they, they can strike people as being token one-off movements. But we're becoming more globalized and more more globally aware. So, yes, Trekkies Together is about that. What it comes down to is we're asking everybody to make – we've got – everybody has their own charities. Mine were the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center for tracing uh, hate groups. A lot are concerned just with uh, Black Lives Matter or just with some of the police reform charities. But all of those entities, the podcasts and the websites in the Trek world, are asking people to make up 47 – dollar donation to whatever group it is they're pushing or somebody on the list and you can see that i've got a blog post at larrynimichek.com that's up about it but trek movie i'm gonna get in trouble now trek core trek news Michelin, the news yeah. sites are putting full stories up and most everybody uh most of the roddenberry network shows I, like i said i know trek fm's about to um uh dan and geek at trek geeks i don't want to leave anybody out but a lot of the a lot of the networks and podcast sites and websites are doing that just to um, show that uh, Star Trek is living its DNA and, um, you know, putting that forward. So, so that's been a that's been a big um, because the part of this is we're, we are not all black. And that whole comfort zone of how do I help but stay out of the way but I'm there when I'm needed. And that was, you know, letting the letting our, our black our African-American or wherever they are in the world have that platform, have that, as you said, reaching out to some voices in all your communities that may not have been heard and just giving them more airspace. So anyway, that's that's what's been going on in in Trekland this week, uh, responding to how this keeps evolving. And the fact that for once, this may finally take hold and become a become a movement, even a global movement for change. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thepsychshow. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone.